Hey everyone, and welcome to the Adventure Deficit Show, where we're always on the lookout for new stories and the life lessons they might hold. Join me, your host, Drew DeVries, as we embark on today's journey to combat the deficit. Today we're going to be talking with Jay Fetting of Fetting Jobs and Whitetail Properties. First and foremost, I want to say welcome to the show. I'm really glad that you're sitting down with us and with the Adventure Deficit community to share some of what's on your mind, but also share uh, from one of your many adventure stories and uh, henceforth a, a life lesson as well. So. Uh, appreciate you carving out some time, and uh, why don't you give us uh, a, a brief intro and uh, just introduce yourself a bit. Sure. Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so, born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, had a father and mother that loved me deeply and dearly, and uh, spent a ton of time with his family, and we were big family people. I was raised in the Catholic Church, um, and then uh, through growing up, um, I was uh, diagnosed with ADD and dyslexia, mm. and uh, so I had different struggles and challenges from a learning disability standpoint, a lot of trying to figure out who I was um, as I got older into, uh, you know, the high school age and all that kind of stuff, was just a party animal, just having fun, figuring out life and trying to fit in with the crowds and all that kind of stuff, and it kind of put me on a bunch of different paths to go seek all sorts of stuff. Adventure was like kind of my way to do things. Outdoors was my way of... Uh, release. I was always into hunting, never really a big fisherman, um, would tag along with my dad and stuff like that. They were, my dad and brother were bigger, like trout fishermen at the time and stuff when I was younger. And so would tag along and go trout fishing and stuff like that. But mainly just, uh, loved, uh, loved the outdoors, loved to go, I don't know, we got a deer camp up in the UP. So we'd go up there and goof off and ride four wheelers and do that kind of stuff. And so yeah. it, was just, it was just an absolute ball. So, um, and then just kind of grew up and, Took my took my life all all over the place. I was adventurous through uh, the college years. Yeah, <laughs> went all over the place. I think I have credits from five different universities. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, a little bit of everything that follows. Okay, so break down uh, ADHD, dyslexia a little bit, and how sure. that played out. Um, that that's a pretty common uh, thread throughout certain uh, generations, and sure. I'd say. Uh, yours and my generation are particularly um, saturated plagued with, with, with stories. <laughs> sure, we can yeah. call it that. Um, but I know that's that's part of my backstory too. So I'm I'm eager to hear how that kind of manifests and how to, how it played out and maybe um, showed up in your in your early years. Sure, um, you know it, it's it was a big part of my parents. Uh, I know I remember my mom doesn't know this, so hopefully she doesn't listen to this someday, but who cares? Um, but I remember her conversation that she had with her mom and she was scared. You know, I could hear the fear in her that she was scared that like how well I was going to assimilate to school or just to general life in general, just because like, she was like, well, my son can't read and he's, you know, in the third grade. And we went through all the, this eyesight checking and all this kind of stuff. And we're trying to figure out what's going on because I'm struggling in school. Um, 
and they literally thought it was because I couldn't see. And I have bad, <laughs> I have terrible eyesight too. So I have glasses and contacts and all that kind of stuff. So, but we went through all that, still couldn't figure it out. But long story short is it, it ultimately kind of defined my identity. Um, and for me, at least it was like, well, if I'm just going to fail at everything I try, I'm just not going to try anything. And if I fail right away, I just don't care. And it led to this whole lifestyle of just not trying and not caring. Um, and ultimately was on a path that it was just a crash course path of just don't care. Whoa, that's, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it can touches everything. Yeah. And it, and you know, I, I lived a life 100% that I never thought I was going to see 21. I never thought I'd see 23. I like, I was told myself and I'd convinced myself I was going to die. It didn't matter. So I just could run reckless. Ah, man. Yeah. Okay, uh, and I'm I'm sure we could we could we could spend hours and days on that, buddy. Yeah, but bring <laughs> us into how. All right, so let's channel that just yeah. kind of through your your teen years and how sure. that played out in maybe your high school uh, situation, and then bring us up to that space where you just you just mentioned a few minutes ago, where you said I was adventurous, and it yeah. sounds like you had a pretty itchy foot, and you were willing to move, and you hung your hat at five different universities. Bridge that gap for us. Sure. Uh, so high school was, you know, interesting. I had to, you know, it was, it was, I had to be the cool kid. Yep. I had to prove that I had worth and all that kind of stuff to yep. everybody. And so, you know, I didn't have that in the academia. I wasn't a sports jock. I wasn't any of those things. Okay. Um, so I just was, a, I was a party animal. Um, I was the life of the party and everybody came to me to party. And, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, the, with the, with the ADD and all that kind of stuff, those traits of wanting to be the life of the party are known, you know, that kind of stuff that, that kind of goes hand in hand, uh, your high energy, your, you want to, you want other people to like you mm. and you want them to enjoy their time. And yeah. so, you know, um, I leaned into those and, and, you know, drew people to me, um, and surrounded myself with people that would, you know, give me hearty approval of all that lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Slap on the back for yeah. all the, the wild fun. living. Yeah. yeah. And so, so high school came and, you know, I can, I can remember when I was getting ready for college stuff, like applying to colleges, it was like, Hmm, well, I'm probably not going to get in anywhere. Um, but there was Western Michigan university. I can remember this. They did, they did applications in person and I was like, Oh, sweet. That gives you a fighting chance. I got in there. I can get in here. Never if been I can, short on charisma. If I can sit in this thing and I can sit down and talk to somebody, yeah, she's going to, I can I could have her rubber stamp that. Right. Sure did. And so okay. rubber stamped that, went into my freshman year, flunked out of there um, by the end of the first, uh, first full year. Wow. So what did you, I mean, you're 19 at this point, yeah. I got to presume. Okay. What did you intend to go into? At that point, I was just going to go business communications, General whatever, business, something, yeah. dude. I, it was full on, like, just get that stamp so you can prove to the world that you did it. Sure. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, man, that's interesting. Um, somewhat similar to my story, I have uh, I was diagnosed ADHD as a, as a seven-year-old, so second grade. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even maybe even earlier. Uh, I, I know it was kind of a point of... of um, wonderment whether or not this was something that uh, was too young for a developing boy or not. But Ritalin got pumped into my my bloodstream as a young, young elementary student. Uh, I hear you say um, 
I just kind of knew I was going to fail anyways, or I was destined to fail anyways, so why try? And I think some of that negative mentality somehow found its way into my my purview as well. Um, and it took me all the way through probably my 20s to recognize there was more, uh, more to the story. Is that at all consistent with you? Like, take us kind of through, there There was at some point a flip because the Jay Fedig I know mm-hmm. is uh, a partner of a very successful sourcing agency, um, the founder of a really cool uh, concept that we'll talk about a little bit more in depth called Whitetail Properties, um, is a husband, a dad, and a fellow brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. Those aren't at all failure points or seeming seemingly uh, consistent with with the Jay that you thought you were going to become as a young man. Take us through the switch. What happened? Sure. <laughs> well, that's a that's a refining fire of a long term switch. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I had ever had a moment where it was just like turn the light switch on and it totally changed. Okay. Um, if so, that would probably be more closely to now. Um, in that was, I don't know, 20 years ago. Okay. So that's fair. Um, it was, uh, it was a constant battle. I, I mean, similar to you, I didn't go, I wasn't Ridlin, I was Adderall. Yeah. Um, and it was an absorbent amount, um, yeah. ridiculous amount of, uh, that. And, and, in in, in, in all transparency, it, it, I ended up dealing it. I, I would sell it. Um, just because you got that enterprising itch too, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So it was, you know, I, I made money through high school by having a fake ID, going to the liquor store, and on every Friday I'd go there with two hundred bucks and get you know a hundred dollars worth of booze for somebody else and walk away with a hundred bucks and yeah. then slang the Adderall on the side because I didn't want to take it because it sped me all out. So wow. Um, found it, turned it into an opportunity, made it work for you, even though. Might have had some shades I mean, of gray. Yeah, it really, and yeah, the worst part about it, and I don't really like bringing up all of this because, sure. but it's like you know, yeah, I'd take it to party, but I didn't mm. take it to actually do what it, it was what so it intended did. to yeah. do. Yeah, wow, so man, I abused it more than anything. Yeah, interesting. Um, but then, uh, so then, like that that switch in that moment of change, I would say was much. You know, I went through a lot more years of just create tremendous. D- dismantling of my physical being okay. of just, you know, and spiritual being, you know, just, you know, living fast, you know, had a, had a career here. I, long story short, I ended up in California. I, I came back here. I ended up in North Carolina for a period of time, working on a job, doing different things all over the place, trying in and out of school, trying to figure out who I was going to be. Everybody that knew me as a kid, any of my dad's buddies or any of that kind of stuff, were like, "This guy's a sales guy. He's gonna be a sales guy. Let him be a sales guy. Let him go figure it." I'm like, so that's kind of what I also like, kind of hung my hat on as mm-hmm. like a kid was like, "Hey, worst comes to worst, I'm gonna be a sales guy because people have told me I can do that," you know. So then I went to try to go for actually find a sales job and you know was done with school, dropped out, not never finished school, okay, um, and said I'm gonna make a career of this thing. So. I'm going to find a job and whatever I do, I'm going to make a career of it. So I uh, started up at a company and um, I was working in their packaging department and moved my way up in that company relatively quickly um, just because I actually gave it some focus. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So, um, you know, still didn't give it my all. And I, I, I always held back, always mm. held back um, just because I was protecting myself. I designed myself and created myself and believed so many lies about myself. Hmm. Um, that 
you know, I never wanted to give everything my all because then if I failed, that was going to hurt, you know. Um, so, but still did, did, did all right with them. And um, I think, I think the, the, the biggest defining moment for me that changed my whole per- trajectory of like living on the edge of I'm going to die <laughs> um, was meeting my wife. Mm. Um, when I met my wife, because I, I was always a believer. I always believed in Jesus. I probably should have told you that a long time ago. But I had some great childhood uh, closeness to God. Believed came to Christ probably when I was like in the fifth grade. But then, you know, that all went to the wayside. Um, came back in moments of high school, all that. Came back in moments of college. Volunteered for Youth for Christ, all that kind of stuff. Did that kind of stuff. Was yearning, wanting that. Mm. But would just push him aside just to go live my life. Um so then when I met my wife um, today, she, uh, I knew that I had to make major changes. <laughs> you know, she, she, she'd tell you today when we met, she was afraid of me because she knew that I had a side that would live fast and die hard, <laughs> you know, like 100%. And so she was terrified of that, mm-hmm. and um, she would, didn't want to get close to that. And so it was like I needed to make major changes if I was going to support this woman. Wow. Wow. So you get back from uh, living, living wild, mm-hmm. uh, pressing every hot button you can find, and uh, and and living at Mach five, hair on fire. What um, I would say when you, what what year was it when you finally started dating or taking seriously your romantic life in a way where you kind of started projecting um, a more positive future for yourself. Well, so that was like 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Okay. So what was that? Oh, not a math man. Yeah. 2012-ish. <laughs> yeah. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. Right. When, like, it was, God put Elizabeth in my life, like, um, like a unbelievably planned moment. Like, wow. literally the story of how we met. I walked into a restaurant, uh, and she was sitting at the bar with her friend. And I walked past her with one of my buddies, and I said, you see that girl right there? That's the kind of girl I'm going to marry someday. No way. No joke. Told that, said that to him. We sat down, ended up talking with her. She pushed me aside and would not spend it. Like, she gave me her phone number or whatever at that moment, and I was that sly bar guy. Like I had all the little tricks up my sleeve. So I could at least fetch her number, and I knew I could do that. And I did that, and then, but she, amazingly, God also put in her gave her the ability to say no and hold me off for like six months. And I just, like, it was the prize that I couldn't obtain. And so I couldn't have enough of it. Like I wanted it so bad and I wanted her so bad. And it, like, she would just say no. She like, but then she'd text me like, how are you doing? Cause she genuinely cared. She wanted to, but sure. she was afraid. Self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had like had this conversation back and forth and she still has her old phone and every once in a while she brings it out You'll and like, and she the, flips oh, through no it way. and it's so, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, do you want to get together? And she'll just respond with no. <laughs> <laughs> so smart woman yeah. and uh patient woman. Yeah. Uh, smart. Cause she finally came around. It sounds like <laughs> you guys, you guys made, uh, made a, a crack at doing life together and it sounds to be working out. You have kids. Yeah. Three boys. Oh man, so cool. Yeah. Ages? They are six, four, and two. Beautiful. Cool. Wild. Of course. Three boys with your DNA. <laughs> That's an army. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So how you want to do this? You're gonna tell us a, an adventure story for us. Do you yep. want to bring us all the way up to current date or do you want to kind of press pause on your life story and then jump into your adventure? 
How let's do you? Go, let's go to the story. Okay. Let's go to the adventure story because I think the buildup of who I was at 21 when this story took place, we kind of covered that. 10-4. And, it, and it, it rolls with it. Okay, perfect. So Jay's got an adventure story for us today. It takes place on uh, the western part of the continental U.S. And uh, it involves uh, some fun elements. So Jay, take it away. Okay, so... Um, like I said earlier, I, uh, spent a little bit of time in California. So I decided last minute that I was going to give uh, a college a try in California. So that was the big adventure part of me. It was like, well, I don't know. I think it was December and classes started in like three weeks. And so I said, I transferred to a, a school out there and, uh, started school and it was kind of wild. And it was like, what are you doing? Don't really know. Don't really know anybody had a couple buddies out there and stuff like that. And um, long story short to that, to the intro of that, my dad, who always loved me and always was supportive of me, was like, hey, you're on the West Coast. Let's go, you know, see some of the coolness that's out there. And do you want to go on some type of hike or a trip or something out there and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I went through the winter and went, you know, spring was coming around and I was like, well, he was, he was really pressing me to come out there. And, and, and I know he wanted, just because he knew my lifestyle, he wanted to be close with me and all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to bring me back to just... It's time to check up. Yeah. And you can't leave me alone for like four months. That's not a good plan. Um, and so he was really pressing me to come out and I was like, yeah, let's, you know, come out, come out. Um, and, uh. So we decided to do a backpacking trip in Yosemite National Park. So um, I was looking like crazy to try to figure out the trailheads and all that kind of stuff, but I like I, I couldn't. And so, uh, but uh, so he, he's always been kind of a like more of a in control kind of guy. Okay. But so I think he was trying to just give me that reins a little bit. So he's like, figure it out, man. Like figure out what we're gonna do, what we what I need, and all that kind of stuff to make this trip happen. And my backpacking resume was be like is like so small. It's so ridiculous. Like, yeah. I mean, I went to, you know, uh, what, what was that camp called? Uh, I don't know, a couple kids camps here in town. And okay. so like we went up and we backpacked like Beaver Island. You know what I mean? Like this is not like backpacking, backpacking. So yeah. um, there was some, don't get me wrong. Like yeah. I, I've yeah. done some, I went up to um, Isle Royal and stuff like that. And, you know, but it's not like I'm uh professional backpacker. Well, your background is, uh, it's curvy, like it's topsy turvy. And a lot of it, I think gravitated toward the social side. And there was that, that doesn't, uh, detract from the fact that there was a wild adventurer within you. Mm -hmm. So it, it follows to suggest that you'd have some outdoor chops, but at this point, polished, measured, formatted dad, hands over the reins to the wild child and says, here's the itinerary. It's all on you. Like we're figure it out. Here you go. Figure it out. Like I'm going to land on this day. <laughs> How long is it going to take to drive to Yosemite park from you've where got, it, yeah. you know, you've like, got food, you've got logistics, you you've got, got trail, you've yeah. got, okay. Yeah. All right. And so, because he's flying in, I got to collect all this kind of stuff and the gear and everything. Yeah. And, you know, I had a backpack out there already. He brought his, or I think he actually borrowed one from somebody cause he didn't even have one. And I'm not trying to pick up my dad, but he was, he was heavier set and stuff like that. And so I'm like, is this really going to be like a good idea to go hike for, you know, where there's no oxygen and all this stuff and whatever, but we figured it out and it was fun because we, it, it it allowed us to come together and talk more frequently and stuff like that over the phone, planning it and like describing it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so we show up at the, uh, 
he flies in. I don't really have anything prepared, kind of. I got my backpack. I got, you know, I got my sleeping bag. I got the stuff that I need. I got a, a tent that really isn't even a packable tent. I mean, one of my pictures, like, you can see that I just have this thing strapped to my pack inside. Yep. like a. It's like a Coleman, like, no joke, like a Coleman tent, yeah. and uh, which isn't bad, but I'm... At the same time, what we're about to You're set outfitted off. for like family car camping. Yes. Got it. it. And so, um, you know, oh, I had a jet boil though. So oh, that yeah. was legit. You had some cool gear. <laughs> yeah. Some, but the no. excitable stuff. Yeah. Right. So, um, but, uh, we, we take off and we're driving and, you know, it's a good conversation. Like my dad has always been unbelievably loving. Um, oh, so like, it's cool to be able to say that. Yeah. Like he's always loved me and wherever I am. And like, I just sent him like a text like a couple weeks ago because I was just like so gratefully overwhelmed about how much prayer he has prayed over me over the years and like just thanking him for that because without it, <laughs> we could have been in a, in a ditch, dead in a ditch for sure. So, wow. um, so, uh, we, we show up to Yosemite and we go to the, the ranger station because we got to get our little bear. I don't even know what they call those bear containers. You That's know? right. Um, so they have no screws or anything on them. So you put your food in there and then you don't have to hang it in the tree and you can carry it. And the bears can yep. just roll these containers around and, you know, then you hopefully go find your container in yeah, the morning. At some after, point. Yeah. You hope he's not sitting on it. Right. right. So, so we go to check in and tell them what we're going to set off to do. Okay. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking to the ranger station and we're just telling them where we're going to go and blah, blah, blah. And it's like a beautiful spring, June, early June day. And, um, I'm like, this is going to be awesome. We're so excited. We're driving through the park and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Like, I mean, and uh, you know, but as we're leaving that ranger station, he's like, yeah, they're like, yeah, that's a moderate trail. That should be good for you guys. It's like a, it's like a five day hike and blah, blah, blah. And as we're walking out, he's like, I don't think anybody's made it through that pass yet this spring. <laughs> And we're like, oh, cool. We're going to be the first ones. Like, that that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? No one's gone through there this spring. That. I'm like, hmm, we're not thinking much of. Like, I didn't think much of that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's Anything like, exclusive is, is yeah, fun. Yeah, no one's going to be up there. That's that's cool. awesome. Maybe, yeah. you know. Um, so we, we get out of the truck, and it, like I said, it's gorgeous. I'm wearing shorts and T-shirts. granite walls, Yosemite oh, yeah. Valley. Yeah, you're in, you're in this, you know, yeah, there's just huge valleys, and we're about to take up off this up this trailhead and there's people coming down in sandals and stuff like that. And we're like, Oh, this is like, is this the fluffy bunny way? Come on, give me some type of challenge. Like I'm kind of getting a little like whatever, but they're coming out of the same trail, sure. but they're just day hiking and stuff like that. So we're, we're going to go get into it, you know? Right. So we just are going up and we're going up and we're going up all day long. And, you know, and we start to get to this pine, you know, big, thick forestry, heavy forested section. And okay. all of a sudden now we're in snow and the it's snow has changed a bit. Snow hasn't melted quite yet. And, uh, it's heavy and it's thick and it's wet. And, you know, I have, I don't know how old my dad is at the time, probably 55 year old, a little bit heavy set man walking through Sandy feeling snow. It, it's not going so well. Sure. And it's, you're slogging at yeah, this point. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And now we've lost the trail because, there's no discernible. There, no, there's no, no, you're above it and there's snow. And so like, you know, and then it's, as it gets cooler in the evening, the consistency of the snow, it freezes. And so now we're on top it's of slippery. it. Well, no, now we're on top of it. So now we're actually making good time and I'm just using topography and I'm just going in the direction. And I'm like, we're supposed to stay in these valleys and go around. And like, we get to the spot and it's, it's starting to get dark and we're like, 
we would kind of hope to get to the top, you know, in crest a little bit before, you know, we, uh, we camped and, you know, it's getting dark and it's time to like, we need to, you know, put this to bed tonight in, you know, yeah. and we can't find a place to put it to uh, that is and anything level whatsoever. Nothing is suitable. And at this point, the, the cautionary comment from the Yosemite trailhead is starting to play over and over in your head, right? Like you've got to be going, hold on. Nobody's, nobody's been through here. Yeah, I think it did in my dad's. Um, okay. I don't okay. think that I was like with it right, enough. So you're to still be up. up. I'm like I'm game. I'm full. T- I'm full throttle, man. Love like it. I just don't care. Okay. Um, but this is still night one. This so. is night one. All right. And we're in the snow, and we're on the side of the hill. And my dad, I could honestly see a little bit of fear in him at this point because he's like, "We're just gonna sleep right here, like this, like right now, like blah blah blah." And I'm like. What else are we going to do at this point? So we pitch the tent, and it is on, I don't know how big of an angle, but it's on enough angle that we are sleeping. He is sleeping on top on of you. me. <laughs> on top of me because he is sliding down in the tent. There's no way we can not. He has like a small panic attack in the middle of the night because he can't get warm oh, because no. he's got all of his gear on inside his mummy bag. And I'm like, Dad, you got to take all of that off so your mummy bag actually works. You know what I mean? Like I get that you're trying to stay warm, but like right now – your body needs, you know, just to insulate in your mummy bag. Yeah. You know, he, he just had like wet pants and crap. Sure, on he's got all his sweaty stuff. On. Yeah. I'm like, you got to get that off and just like you let your bag warm up and you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. We don't sleep at all that night. Oh, and, no. You know, um, but we decide we're going to wake up the next morning and press on regardless. And so um, we take off and we, <laughs> we get going and I don't know. We've made it. We, we, we now crest, you know, I think to the highest elevation we're going to go on this trail, but we're going to stay at this elevation for a long ways uh, for, I think, two days was the plan. And then we'll descend down and we're back in camp and then they'll take us all the way around to our, our vehicle. Okay. Um, and uh, we start making it through. And that day was gorgeous. It was awesome. We get into this valley set situation where it's just peaks all the way around us and yeah. it is just snow and there at this point we're on six to eight feet of snow oh okay so Um, there's some snowpack up there oh yeah and it's 75 degrees and it's melting fast um you could see some pockets where you know the sun would bake on this you know south facing slopes and stuff like that where there wasn't and so i was just taking us over off the snow every once in a while and just to walk but we were walking on top of it just fine because it was all you know snowpack and um and then we got to a section where we were going to have to, you know, change elevation and maybe go up 500 feet. And as we were coming to that section, it was deep snow. And we started falling through the snow. And we're very ill-prepared for that type of situation where I was up to my neck and having to climb out. And we were in a backpack and all that. And I got my dad with me. And now we're we're just busting through the snow. And... Uh, we're going, we don't know what's on the other side. We can't keep doing this. We do not have the gear to do this. Um, so I didn't want to give up. Um, he didn't, I don't think, wanted to give up, but we were both like, I don't think we can continue doing this. Um, did you, At what point did that that transpire? Were you guys both post-hold, neck deep, like y- you turn around comically to your dad's <laughs> face shot, which is pretty much elevated over 
snow and say, this is a bad idea. Let's turn around. I think after like his 50th cuss word, which he doesn't swear that often, you know, and he's pretty, you could tell he's pretty hot. And like, you know, it wasn't like we just were just falling to our neck and then we'd stay on top. It was like you were trudging waist deep snow, wet, heavy snow for a while. And we were making no ground because we're just trudging through and, you know, there was no point in doing this. You know what I mean? Like, you like, got to be soaked, soaked, so wet. You're, you know, your my pack is just absolutely like drenched, drenched, disaster, super S- heavy, super heavy, wet, cold. Now all of a sudden you get in the shade and you're just freezing and because you wanted to get that gear off, you know. And so we get around and we, at one point we we're finally like, there's no way we can continue. Like, this is just this is going to kill us. This is, this is dumb. We don't know what to do. We don't. So we decide that we find like a little piece. Of, I think I have a picture of it, dude, just cause it's kind of ridiculous. We find a little piece of, of, uh, of dry ground and we pitch our tent and we just hang out and it was, it was peaceful. It was awesome. It was beautiful. It was just, uh, um, you know, I'm in shorts, I think, in that picture. Yeah, you yeah. you look like you might honestly be photoshopped in here from Gulf Shores. Yeah, like just ridiculousness. Like, like, dude, look. Pretty at sure it. those are the Nike slides that I'm just, everybody I'm had just wearing in, blue, in that year. I'm wearing blue jeans. Like, I'm just wearing blue jeans out there hiking. And so that's the next morning. Wow. That's the next morning when we woke up the next morning. It got super hot. And these so, photos are awesome. I'm going to post these uh, on, on the show notes. But all right, so... The next morning you woke up. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, these are these are really catching my attention. So, no, oh, yeah. So this is what we wake up to, um, and we uh, the snow now is melting so fast, and now we have to go back and cross all the ice pack, the ice pack snow, and now we're breaking through the six foot of ice pack snow with water rushing underneath it, and so now every time you break through. It's catching your boot and pulling you. This is getting dangerous. It's getting a little dangerous. So like in one of those photos, I'm literally dragging my pack to lighten up my weight so I stop falling through. Oh, your pack's not on a sled here? No. (laughs) I don't have a sled with me, bro. I have Kmart's best. Like, dude, like, no, 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 no. This is not fully planned. Okay. Like, this is just me dragging it across the snow. And mind you, I have the tent. I got my dad's sleeping bag. I got both of the bear, the, all of the food because he can't handle it. And we're headed back. And now we got to just get back. And so, um, you know, by the grace of God, we just kept going and, you know, taking it. We went super slow. One Giant. slog, s- yeah. drenched step at a time. Yeah. And uh, we ended, I think we ended up spent because we were like, well, we had two more or three more nights going down the other way that we just were like, let's just take it super slow. Make sure that every step is something that is a safe step. <laughs> and we ended up spending two more nights, It would, which nor- on the way in it only took us one, but we took two. Going down. Going down just yeah. because we were like, we didn't realize the adrenaline, I think, of going up and what we were getting into and needing to be so far each day, um, you know, blinded us to this, the stupidity that we were in. You get what I'm saying? Or the, totally. the, the actual totally. se- seriousness of the situation? Yeah, that's not, I mean, that's not beyond me to understand how that works. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm kind of going, your, your dad must have had an entirely different experience than you did. Because I think you were trudging through neck deep snow to prove your worth 
to say, I can do this. This will happen come hell or high water or neck deep snow. And I think your dad was going, I did not envision this. I wanted to have a conversation with him. I didn't want to stare at his back while mine is being thrown out. This is not at all what I had in mind, but I'm going with it because I love my son. Mm-hmm. I got to believe there's some sort of divide between the two experiences there. Oh, 100%. Like, I think I, he still jokes about it today where he's just like, ice backpacking, check, never again. Like, <laughs> snow backpacking, never again. Backpacking with Jay, check, never again. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you can think, I, I think about is like, you know, the prodigal son trying to chase after him and like what his love was to follow me across the country to do that and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he was, whether I was, I I think I was still at that point, like if I didn't try, I didn't care or the failure thing. So to say that I like wanted to get across that no matter what, I think I wanted to prove to him like a little bit that I could manage that trail and manage the whole plan and do all that kind of stuff. And he could trust me to do that. Okay. No, even though like today, even if I plan a trip with him, we still like go on elk hunts and stuff like that together. And we still hunt all the time together. Um, That's really cool. And we own properties together and do all that, do the habitat work together. And I'm teaching him all that kind of stuff right now. And it's awesome to see him receive that from me. Um, a true gift um to teach something to your dad weird that's a whole nother topic um no you look in deep thought so yeah i (laughs) am in deep thought um the a a very profound uh word combination just came to mind but it was grow down Mm. that takes a lot of humility yeah it does um it does I'm just going to jot that down yeah. and I'm going to see where, um, I'm going to see where you take it. Okay. I'm going to see where you take us, but, um, man, what, this is a, this is just a, a treasured conversation because there's a sweetness between that relationship that I think is, uh, pretty rare nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, yeah, I just want to encourage you to, to kind of flex that a bit and, and let our listeners understand maybe a little bit about, um, kind of some of the nuance to that relationship and, and maybe some of the, the sweet colors that, that shone through, um, maybe in, in intimate or, or a unique way to that relationship that, um, yeah, that we all might be, uh, blessed to hear. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and, and it, his, his love, uh, like I said earlier, his love for me and my mother's love for like that family dynamic has just been absolutely awesome to watch and see. And I've, I've learned having three young children now that leading by example is so much more important than words. And, and God gives us that perfect example and Jesus gave us that perfect example. And so we need to look to those. And yes, we look to his word for all things and, and understanding and all that kind of stuff. But that example and how we live out our lives that's that's the practical application that you can give to others and it's real easy talk is cheap man um a lot of people put a lot of lip service on a lot of things and i did it for years as even as a as i walked alongside my wife and finally you know really gave my life over to christ years ago i still you know was just a bunch of lip service to to the christian faith and like to truly walk that out um i guess i'll ask you i I asked my wife this question the other day was, you know, we have a clear understanding what it means to be faithful 
to to a man and woman. So we're married to each other. Like, what's it mean to be faithful? It means we're not going outside of this marriage. You know, we're committing our lives to supporting each other and all that kind of stuff. So what does it mean for me to be faithful to God? Um, what parts of my heart am I not, am I, am I still cheating on God with? Like, where am I leaving out things where God isn't in every bit of my conversation? Am I cheating on him here? Am I cheating on him there? Am I saving this for, ah, I can still do this because this sin nature still grows in me. So that's a whole nother piece as well, but yeah, <laughs> so no, there's, it's, it's connected. Um, I think because I, I mentioned on the front end, I'm a brother in faith. I, yeah. I know, I, I know the story, uh, in that regard, what I, I think will help our listeners understand more is, um, is to parallel that, that love of a father to the love of our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. Talk, talk to us about that. Sure. Sure. So I think our earthly father is our perfect, is the closest example that we're ever going to have to our heavenly father. And so, so often we want to compare what the love of our earthly father is, is to our heavenly father, which then blinds us to, to the understanding that our heavenly father has unconditional love for us. The love that he has for us will not change. He, he loves us so much. Um, it, it's hard to explain. I don't even think I can bring good words to ex- the explanation of what he did other than through his example, again, leading by example, that he was able to send his son to die for our sins. Like really the most painful, brutal, nasty death you could possibly comprehend. That is what your he- our heavenly father did with his son and he sacrificed him for to covering all of our sins. Um, Amen. So, you know, you know, back to the story, if you will, of my dad and I slugging this out and what we're going to do now and, and, and then seeing that love manifest itself in him and, and wanting to be there with me and wanting to come there to, to, to help me, to try to get me out of the pit, to try to, you know, I did have a great example of what an earthly father looks like. I still do. And I, I cherish the time spent with him. Um, and, uh, so we're on this hillside and now we're going to come down and, and, and we've now, I would say we've gotten to the point where we're out of the weeds, if you will. There's no longer a, a situation of like, the, this is a big worry and, and, you know, all we got to do is walk down a foot of snow and, and come out. And so we do, and we, we make it out just fine and all that kind of stuff. And I, d- I just wanted to kind of like wrap that story up in the closure of it. Yeah, because, no, that's good. Um, because my dad then, we get back to my apartment in uh, Fullerton, California, and uh, <laughs> we had uh, a day because we didn't burn it on the mountain, and we're just hanging out. I don't know really what we did that day. but Okay, so you bought an extra day by accelerating your... Exit. Your trip. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. So we, yeah, we didn't, we had more days up, yeah, um, up on the hill and stuff. So we didn't use them. So we were just hanging out. I don't even... I, trying to remember what we actually did that day i don't think we really did anything because it was a lot of just like resting and hanging out and um but the one thing that i do remember is you know he was he was big on me getting into the getting into the word and reading my bible and all that kind of stuff and he was always trying to you know always pushing that for me and all that um and so you know i'm living on you can see in the photos, I don't look like I look today. I'm living on like ramen noodles and, and Triscuit crackers and, you know, an Adderall, basically, seriously, that was my diet. Um, and, uh, and so he, he went and found, 
he had given me a Bible when I was young and had my name on it and stuff. And, uh, he went and found it cause I brought it with me, um, to California. I didn't read it very much. Every once in a while when things would get real dark, I would. Um, but he, uh, he hid money all in my Bible. Uh, so he had $20 bills and like, I hate to tell you dad, but I just, you know, figured that out real quick the first time I opened it. And then I shook it all out <laughs> just to give you a heads up. But, uh, I, it was, it, it, I still remember it and it meant a lot to me. Um, so, uh, but that, that's, that's the love. And so like the, the lessons that I've learned is, you know, as the prodigal son returns and, and, you know, as the son stayed, you know, the Bible says the, the, the one son that doesn't leave and he stays with his father, you know, the story of the prodigal son is the son says, I want my inheritance so I can go and do what I want to do. And the father says, okay, I'll give you your inheritance before you go. And he goes off and he does whatever and he squanders all of his inheritance away. And, and then he returns and there's this huge party and he's super excited. And, and that is what our heavenly father looks at us when we do go out and, and, and we throw a party for ourselves, but we return to him. He throws an absolute party for us, and he's so joyed and thankful for our return. Well, at the same time, there's a brother still at home, and the brother at home was going, Dad, why aren't you throwing a party for me? What about me? What about me, Dad? And, you know, he says, you could have, you, you had everything. You had the keys to my kingdom. You, I gave you everything. You, you could have had a party every day. But it's not every day that a, a son returns. It's not every day that this happens. And so, you know, there's there's multiple lessons in that story. But I just look at it of going, wow, our Heavenly Father's love is so great for us. He loves us to the nth degree. And until we can really fully understand that, how do we then love people? Like Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for it. Mm. We're supposed to love. And Christians at a whole large, I think we're getting that kind of wrong where we're, we're in more of a judgment mode and we're, we're supposed to be here to judge the world. And it's like, nah, man, I know there's so many bad things in so many people's lives that they think that they can't be forgiven for. And they can't, God will never forgive them for that. And that is the furthest from the truth. And if anybody like ever was listening to anything that I said, that's what God wants you to know is I love you no matter what you've done. I've already paid the price for your love. You're bought and paid for. In every human on this planet, doesn't matter where you're from, what's your background, any of that, you're all bought and paid for already. Wow. wow, man. That's, uh, now I know where you're going with that depiction, that, that bridge to the Heavenly Father's love being... Uh, modeled by your earthly father. In that story, Jesus is telling his disciples and and other listeners about uh, a a Jewish dad of of status, of great status, who welcomes this, this unruly son back into his estate. And there's a piece, Jay, where that that man, that Jewish man, lifts up his robe and runs across the field um, to the audience and to bring a little bit of context around that story. Yeah. That's shameful. 
Um, okay, to, to be greeted by your son is one thing, but your son comes to you. In that story, the disciples were scratching their heads because that dad ran to his son. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was a, it was a culture of uh, agrarian society. It was very agricultural. So there was, um, think, you know, livestock it, it coexisting in the same streets as the people and keeping your living quarters clean from all of that was a high priority, especially if you were a man of status or stature. And for him to run across a field meant he was willing to, to uh, in effect, get himself not just dirty, but probably stepping through shit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. running the after whole, his yeah. son. Yeah, um, There's so much... Uh, countercultural uh, stuff going on in that story that it's, it seems 100% opposite of what we would, we would normally encounter. Mm-hmm. And that was the point. There was shock value there. Mm-hmm. When I hear you telling me that you were charging up through neck deep snow, and your dad from Michigan who flew out to come see his son who was wayward, who had every right to sit back and say, no, I'll just buy my son a plane ticket. He can come meet me in my leather-bound chair in my study, mm-hmm. and we'll do it on my terms. Didn't cross that the mind of that man. He came to you. He came ripping across that proverbial manure-filled field and jumped into your story with you. Mm-hmm. That is melting my heart, man. That is really, really something. Yeah, it, it was it was a true humbling experience to, for me today to see, sit back and see that and understand it. Like being getting prepared for this to realize the father's my earthly father's love again. I don't want to just beat that drum, but it, it's just so cool yeah. to think about. And, and then you know, again, back to the leading by example. Man. Yeah, yeah, man. When when an earthly father. Uh, is getting his instructions from the right source, and he's he's doing it right. When an earthly dad gets it right, there's there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. And I and I also believe that God honors that too. Oh, and, and that's a big part of my story of like you know because it by no means after that experience was I did I there was that there was no light switch that happened and all of a sudden now I was a devout father a follower of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right. I there was there was years of partying yet ahead of me. I yeah. Mean, I think I think probably two weeks later than that I had my twenty first birthday and I ended up in Vegas for a month. Yeah. Like, you know, on the streets, man. So like um but now looking back, the gift that that gives me to share and understand and again live through actions and see actions unfold and how that, that impacts us versus standing on the street corner or my dad just calling me like you're, you're you know, he, he could have called me every day and said dad jesus is the way jesus is the way you know you better you better turn from your sinful ways, son and jesus is the way yeah how 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 well would i have received that yeah and so i know that this isn't necessarily a christian you know talk and all that kind of stuff but for me, it's so important because we we want to segregate all of our different buckets of our lives and I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I don't want to give any moment uh, of time away because it is it is fleeting and it's precious. And if there's anybody that can learn anything um, from a mumbling, bumbling fool like me that spent like life crazy, is that your your heavenly Father loves you and forgives you. And there is no dad that there, your heavenly Father will run through the nastiest muck and mire and come to you and meet you where you are every day, every day. As is proven on, on Calvary, on the cross of Calvary. Man, that's such a good story, and it is. Uh, it does have so much religious uh, sh- strings attached to it. But there's uh, there's more than religion going on here. This is a this is a life changed by the living Christ. This isn't. Um, yeah, this isn't dolled up for uh, for an audience. This is just real. Yeah. Um, and when when Jesus Christ grabs hold of your life, if it's um, if it transpires over years or if it's flash in the pan, Jesus Christ grabs hold of all of your life. How relenting we are has a lot to do with our maturity. How willing we are to surrender those spaces of um, control mm-hmm. where we go, oh, I liked that part of me. I really, I, I really kind of liked making an extra thousand bucks by slinging some ready. I sure. kind of liked, yeah, kind of liked being the guy who always had a couple nasty jokes in my back pocket when they were ready to go. Uh, uh-uh. it's like that, that part of you starts to die. Those desires start to die and you start to orient yourself toward the Christ who will run across a field for you. Yeah. The, the, I was telling my kids last night and you know, as they were going to bed, it's like this, this idea of obedience is, you know, obedience to God, if you will. If I say that, I immediately feel this, like, really? I got to give my life to be obedient. It's, it comes with, in my brain, this negative connotation. And I watched it in my six-year-old and my four-year-old last night. They're like, that doesn't sound fun mm. just because I use that word obedience. But the true joy that actually comes out of being obedient isn't the joy of this world. It's the joy of what Paul tells Timothy is to grab hold of your eternal life. Fight the fight of good faith and grab hold of your eternal life. If you're an eternal being mm. and you know you're going to live forever and your soul will live forever, that's the joy. And that obedience, that obedience breeds that joy and that peace. Yeah. And so, yeah, it seems counterintuitive. And it's the same thing as like what you're saying about the culture of the time of that, that Jewish father that's running across the field. None of what Jesus and none of what God has ever done is consistent with man. Right. And so to think about that, it's just, it's so awesome to be like, yeah, it's, it, it, it isn't a joy that you're going to find on this side of the grave. And, yeah. you know, I, like you mentioned, we, we have a successful staffing agency here in town and everything, you know, the, the amount of prosperity that has come from that and all that kind of stuff, it is tremendous. It's great. And I praise God for it, but it also distracts the heck out of me. Yeah. It's also really hard. And like, you know, I used to joke when I was living fast and dying hard, just like, um, if I ever won the lottery, that would be the best way to fully keep me from God. 
because mm. then I would have no dependence on them. And so many people are doing that today. It's like, you know, you fill your coffers full of money. Yeah. What do you need God for? Yeah, the, the scriptures come alive in these type of conversations. Um, in, in our Bibles say that the love of money is the root of all evil. And our Bibles also say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and mm-hmm. gentle there's a, there's a, there's a, and, and he says, you will find rest for your souls. There's this piece where I go, he doesn't promise us that we're not going to have a yoke. He tells us to take his, mm-hmm. that's a life of obedience. Mm-hmm. That's where you start to hear the, the scripture come alive where it says, you know, if you want a part of me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. It, that, that's part of the scripture that comes alive when you hear, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's part of, I mean, God's word is so alive in a conversation like this. Yep. Um, because it's Christianity is perfectly orchestrated in God's word. He gives us everything that we would ever need to know in his word. But it's also mysterious to us because we do have a sin nature and we do have this ever-present whisper. That just goes, I could still go do that. I could Mm -hmm. still go do that. I could still go do that. But there's this death to self that exists when you, when you begin to mature, um, where you go, I can trust that because God has set in his word that, that, that space or that time or that place is not for me, though my body might be screaming for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can submit to his authority. And you know what? Blessing awaits. That's where that's where my life has been tremendously changed in that regard too. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. So a wild man who's uh, who was hard charging, um, fast living, and uh, yearning for for his dad's approval upon his own merit, learns quickly that his father's love has nothing to do with his behavior or his action. Mm-hmm. It's just there. Mm-hmm. What an awesome gift, man. What a cool story. Jay, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that with us today. Uh, you certainly have encouraged my heart, and uh, I'm a father, so that, that puts uh, just a, a nice word of encouragement on my shoulder for the day to be, uh, be that mark of, of the Heavenly Father's love to my kids. Uh, let them see. That's awesome. Let them see maybe a glimpse. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to get it right. You're not perfect. You can't, but I might give them a glimpse, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's the biggest thing, man, is like yeah. the understanding that if we well up our pride that think we're going to do it yeah. and we're not, we, we don't need God to help us support. Like, even if we have good and noble ambitions to draw them closer to God, if we do it in front of God and don't allow God to come and do it with us and let him work first, we will fail. That's a promise. All right. So if you had to wrap it up, it sounds like um, it sounds like you've you've thought this through in such a way where maybe you can offer up a punchy one liner for us. Oh, geez. What's uh, <laughs> yeah? What's the life lesson that you walk away from this this trip with pops from? Hmm. I didn't think about it that well enough to have one awesome punchy one liner. Um, but uh, I would just say. Humbling yourself is not 
a, I have to give everything of who I am. God made you perfectly who you are already in Christ. And so you are the remnants of who you are still remain. And so just to humble yourself doesn't mean I'm weak and I'm a worm and I'm worthless and all of those things. And I can do nothing without Christ. Yeah, you can't do anything without Christ, but he also is calling you to be his saint and walk with him in a powerful light and, and, and be that for the world. And so it isn't this like, Oh, I got to like, um, shame. Out. Yeah. Shame. Yeah, it's not, no. there, there is no condemnation in Christ no, Jesus. Man. And so it's like, no, 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 no. This is just to lift us yeah, up and build it. us up and, yeah. and be brothers and, and, and go fight the good fight of faith and like, and love it and charge it. Like, yeah. Own your new identity in yeah. Christ, which is righteousness. Yeah. He sees you as fit for his presence, which if we, if we detract from the holiness of God, we take out the whole peace that needs wrath and justice. Mm-hmm. God is so holy. And for us to try and understand that or comprehend that is tough because we've never we've never met something so pure. But once we recognize what happened on the cross and we claim his death in our place, substitutionary atonement takes place. That's a big theological word. Sure, yeah. But basically he goes, hey, that debt that you owe me because you've run off, I got you. Yeah, he's already taken on that sin. So he sees you. We don't shame out. Mm-hmm. We walk in light. And and more scripture comes alive in that mm-hmm. regard. But he sees you as the righteousness of God. <laughs> he sees you as his son. Amen. He it's sees crazy. you as accepted. It's awesome. I love it. I yeah, accept it's, it. It's awesome stuff. Yeah. Being a Christian is pretty rad. <laughs> it's it's different than the worldview. I can tell you that. There's a lens that is portrayed upon it that yeah. it, it is not... It is not that, um, and there's, you know, I'd love to talk to anybody that wanted to talk about it to understand it, yeah. um, because it, it is so cool yeah. to understand what your your father's love truly yeah. is. Uh, do you have time to tell us uh, maybe f- four minutes about um, quick whitetail properties, what you're doing with it? Uh, sure. I'm fascinated by it. Just uh, the hunting background in me just goes, tell me. Tell me, give me the elevator pitch on Whitetail Properties. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, so Whitetail Properties technically isn't the name quite yet, but okay. uh, we're working on that and all that kind of stuff. But what I've what I've been doing over the last ten years is managing a few uh, small eight or eighty to forty acre properties um, and really doing habitat improvement on those properties in such a way that it it attracts deer, holds deer. And then I can actually take deer to the next age class. So I've hired a bunch of consultants over the years and worked with a whole bunch of different people. And I've ultimately decided to, to go out and help people take deer to the next age class. And how do you do that? How can you, can you really grow big bucks in Michigan where the neighbor, it's brown, it's down. You're going to shoot absolutely everything. This is ridiculous. There's no, I got to shoot this buck because if I don't shoot this buck. The orange army is going to clean up. Yeah, so yeah. so I shoot them anyways. And then we have this whole problem where people don't go through what I refer to as hunter progression. Uh, hunter progression is I shot a bu- this size buck. I want to shoot the next size buck. I want to shoot the next size. and or, or, you know, these are my new goals and all that kind of stuff where, you know, they go out and they don't see a deer for three years or they – they see some does way off in the distance and all that kind of stuff. So I bought my first piece of property when I was, I don't know, when I first met my wife and all that kind of stuff. So 12 years ago or something like that. And, uh, and I said, I thought, Oh, I'm now that I own 17 acres, I'm going to be able to kill deer all the time. Well, that wasn't the case. And so how did I, I, I needed to figure out how to do that. And so 
I started planting food plots. I started hinge cutting trees. I started just falling trees. There's a multitude of different things that went into this and tons of learning, tons of failures. Um, so right now I'm just trying to help other people. I've, uh, taken all of that years of knowledge and, and done it. And the cool thing is, is I've really done it on multiple pieces of property. There's a lot of consultants out there today that have built one piece of property over the last 35 years, not saying they didn't do an awesome job, not saying they're not killing massive bucks on that property on a regular basis. But at the same time, I don't got 35 years to spend on this. I got to figure this out in year one or year two and really make an impact on the deer herd so there's more deer in there that can grow bigger and all that kind of stuff. And it's not all about just shooting mature bucks. I, I'll sit down with anybody and figure out what their habitat goals. I got a plan tomorrow that I'm designing for somebody, and, and, and they just want to shoot two-and-a-half-year-old deer. That, that's all they really want to do. I'm going to get them there quicker. <laughs> that's easier. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, other clients that are just, they're working with uh, veterans and they're bringing in veterans to, to hunt a, a, a big tract of land that they bought just for doing that. Well, they're only going to be hunting on the 15th and 16th. And, and, the, and everybody thinks, well, there should be deer all over in a, a big 850-acre piece of property. You bring eight, five guys in there, they should be shoot deer. Well, that's not the case because there's no food in there. There's no browse in there. You know, deer need certain things. They got a reason to, to stay. Yeah, they, they need certain things. And yeah. a lot of, it, you have to be able to identify what a deer's diet is and what's happening, what, why are deer doing certain things all day long. And then we draw that all out. And the cool thing with the way that I'm going about it, I think it's cool. You can tell me it's wrong. That's fine, too. And I'll, I'll, I'll adapt from that because, again... I've lost, I've lost all right to be offended a lot yeah. years ago. Yeah, there's uh, a cool freedom in that. Yeah, and so uh, I, I'd, I'd love other people's opinion. But th- at the end of the day, what we do is if, if, you, if I did work with you, if you have a piece of land and you, you want to shoot bigger deer or you want to see more deer, or whatever your goals are, we'll figure those out for that hunting property, specifically to whitetails. Um, but we then we walk the property, we spend time with the goals, we walk the property, we see it, we tour it. We then build the plan together. We sit down and we build it out. And so you're learning through that process of what is happening and why we're doing certain certain things. And now you're left with a roadmap of how to go execute it. Yeah, that's really cool. So uh, I'll add a little bit to this just as far as um, uh, credibility. The proof is in the pudding, uh, the, the adage goes. And uh, the night I met Jay, my son and I were actually doing, um, we were, kind of doing the dog and pony show for adventure deficit trips at a sportsman's banquet here in Grand Rapids. And Jay needed a spot, uh, for, he needed a little real estate for, for some of his show and tell. And he didn't have them with him, uh, at this point, but he said, Hey, can I, can I snag a little bit of your table? Uh, I got, a, I got a few antlers I want to bring in and just kind of show, show to the the guys here and Jay brought in a one thirties, one forties size. A point. Yeah. yeah. A big stud buck, anything that I've ever, you know, seen around here, it easily, it easily matched or outclassed. And Jay told me that that took him, uh, I think it was a 24 month turnaround on a plot of land mm-hmm. where that buck grew that much mass and that much size in that short of time. So there is an accelerant factor going on as well. Um, to the formula that you've got got kind of worked out. Um, it sounds like you know you don't have to have a million acres in 35 years to to grow big mature bucks. It can be done, and if you're a landowner landowner in the West Michigan area uh, who's looking to kind of figure that that puzzle out, Jay would love to help you. Yeah, absolutely. So.
Jay, thanks for spending time with us. Thanks for your, uh, your, your blessing to all of us through, uh, just a cherished memory of you and your dad in the Yosemite, uh, the Yosemite Alpine. Yeah. Uh, what a cool time. Thanks, Appreciate Frank. you. And uh, we wish you all the best in uh, in your future endeavors. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Thank all right. you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for joining.